0: to the podcast today. I am your host, Matt Guest. With me with less of a Midwestern accent than he used to have is Matt Moore. (laughs) It's what's up, dude. How are you? Yeah, so uh, for the (laughs) listeners,
1: we were just having the conversation. I guess for me, the accent comes out with three letter words. Um, One being pretty, inappropriate, one being bag. Uh, What did I just say? Bad? It's uh, either way, I can't use three letter words anymore because I just sound ridiculous. So that's great news. And I'm going to have to figure out how to, uh, you know, change my life around a little bit, I guess.
0: No, no, just keep being you, bro. What you you don't live in the Midwest anymore. When I first met you seven years ago, it was worse than it is now. You're in Vegas now. So you're in the melting pot. I'm sure at one point there will be some type of Vegas vernacular or maybe you guys will be like the New York of the west coast right like a little more edgy a little more angry you know a lot more fast pace as time goes right because vegas has its own little unique style whereas me being from california especially beach city california uh it's gonna be tough to ever go off of this monotoned southern california type of vibe you know and, and i'm okay with that I, I wish my voice sounded cooler but you are a product of your environment it is what it is you know hey shout out to the midwestern accent it could be worse. It's also just a little comical, you know?
1: It is. And it's also, it aligns so well with the like the whole, the wholesome, um as I, you know, stutter, uh, the wholesome nature that yeah. I think we attach to the Midwest, right? Like really nice people, more hospitable, kind of like the South. And like, when you hear that accent, I I, I watched Fargo the other night and I was just dying the whole time. because I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like, how could you? How could you think any of these people were threatening? Like they sound like chipmunks, you know, not really, but um, just <laughs> interesting thing to, for us to dive into right off the bat today.
0: Yeah. For Joel, Sally Lou went and murdered her husband the other day, you know. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The
1: show's actually pretty no, good. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. I went to high school with him. Yeah. He, yeah. he went not hard to fly. Yeah. He's, a, he's a nice fellow. Uh, but. I give the actors a lot of credit you know, and that's just not from like just Fargo, but throughout <laughs> yeah. the concept of acting and and having to change your voice. And I think it's something that we're finding as we've started this, this storytelling process where, you know, the diction is really important and like really finding ways to elevate your voice, to lower your voice, to create emphasis within your words. Like it's not easy. It's not like really 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 hard, but for the actors it is like they're picking up accents that they've probably never really been exposed to and they're absolutely nailing them
0: yeah for sure and of course, as I'm talking about California it's starting to rain and I'm like, what the hell is going on outside um, but let's talk about the pod uh obviously I'm Matt that's Matt We are as our longtime listeners know we are we're mixing things up a little bit last week or uh, two weeks ago excuse me we had a pretty long uh, story about Brett Feach and the Kansas City Chiefs They go on to win the Super Bowl. We're still finalizing our last release of that entire clip out onto our socials, but we got some big plans for what we want to do this week. We're going to keep it a little bit more mellow. We got some big plans as we roll into um, the beginning of Major League Baseball, as well as NFL free agency, franchise tag deadlines and all of the above and all this fun stuff. Um, but what we will be getting into today is a little bit of spring trading talk. So we're going to talk a little bit about major league baseball spring training here. It's starting the day this episode is going to drop. Um, but what Matt is actually going to get into and get started with today is a really cool story regarding, you've probably seen it in the news, but a little bit more in depth. Uh, I think he did about six, seven minutes on Scott Boris and what his free agents are doing differently this year and why some of these guys have not been able to get signed as we do dive into string training starting here on Thursday.
1: Yeah, Matt, absolutely. Um, you know, Thanks for that pass off there. I'm really excited to tell this little story. As you kind of mentioned, it's been all over, uh, like at least baseball feeds and within the baseball world, a lot of people having different conversations based off of it. So I wanted to present to you guys at least the facts that I have and kind of trace it back into time a little bit so that we have more of an understanding As to why Scott Boris is the prominent figure for the players, the players association and why he holds so much value within the conversation that is this, uh, this free agent deadline. So let's get into it. With opening day around the corner, Major League Baseball wants to make major changes yet again. Last Thursday, February 15th, Commissioner Rob Manford addressed the media while in Tampa, Florida. A number of topics were offered for media coverage, but the most notable takeaway was his desire for a free agent signing deadline. Manfred was quoted as saying, We would prefer to have a free agent signing period, ideally, preferably in December, with a deadline that drove people to make their deals, get things settled. We actually made the proposal to that effect to the Major League Baseball Players Association. They were not warmly received. Manford went on to say, One of the tactics that's available to player representatives is to stretch out the negotiation in the belief that they're going to get the better deal. Manford continued with, That's part of the system right now. There's not a lot we can do about it, but certainly from an aspirational perspective, we would rather have two weeks of flurried activity in December, preferably around the winter meetings. Manford is looking at other sports and the immense buzz free agency brings, and how that buzz has become part of the marketability. In a lot of ways, fans look forward to the signing period as a sense of hope and change for their organizations. For every team that did not bring home a world championship, Free Agency offers the opportunity to bring in new talent that might push the organization over the top. And for rebuilding franchises, Free Agency offers the fans a chance to root on new names as they wait for the franchise to yet again become competitive. This concept is a hot topic this offseason, and rightfully so. Spring training games begin this coming Thursday, February 22nd. That's in two days. And yet we still have a number of high-profile free agents available. Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman, Jordan Montgomery, and reigning NL Cy Young winner Blake Snell. All four went into the offseason as sure-bet starters and highly sought-after veteran players. So what's the catch? As alluded to in Manfred's statements, their representation has held out in hopes of securing the best deal possible. All four are represented by Scott Boris and the Boris Corporation. Boris has a reputation in Major League Baseball for delivering the best contracts for his clients. In 2014, the Boris Corporation was named by Forbes Magazine as the most valuable single sport agency in the world. Boris has been attached to the sport since the early 80s, representing some of the biggest names in Major League Baseball, but also delivering some of the largest contracts the sport has seen yet to date. In August of 1997, Boris secured a five-year, $57.5 million extension for Hall of Fame pitcher Greg Maddox. To date, only one player had reached the $50 million mark, and that was slugger Albert Bell in 1996. Bell's contract at the time didn't come without controversy. Bell chose to sign with the Chicago White Sox, coming off a tremendous stretch in which Bell was looked at as a power-hitting superstar. The White Sox were by no means hurting for money. Owner Jerry Reinsdorf, also owner of the Chicago Bulls, now laid claim to having the two highest paid players in both Major League Baseball and the NBA, those players being Michael Jordan and, of course, Albert Bell. The White Sox and Reinsdorf signed Bell away from the rival Cleveland Indians, and their GM at the time, John Hart, was not happy. He had a very pointed comment that over the course of the last 29 years has become very proven to hold true. Hart was quoted, but it does bother me that there are only a few teams that can afford to do this. That means the game is not healthy. I want people in Pittsburgh, Kansas City, and Milwaukee, and all the other small towns to have a chance to compete. I want competitive balance. Bell's contract changed the sport. It opened the door for agents like Boris to flex their muscles. And flex he did sending Kevin Brown, a top-end pitcher, to a $105 million deal in 1998. But Boris was just getting started. In the year 2000, Major League Baseball had one of its young, rising stars hit the open market. That star was Alex Rodriguez, a plus-plus defensive shortstop with power and speed, who also hit for average. Rodriguez was destined to break the bank. And Boris delivered yet again. Rodriguez signed with the Texas Rangers for 10 years $252 million. This was a crowning moment for not only Rodriguez, but for Boris. He had done what many thought was impossible, blowing past financial benchmarks and cementing himself as baseball's super agent. Today, Boris represents the four players we mentioned earlier in our story, as well as a number of high profile superstars, the biggest name being Juan Soto. Soto was offered $450 million from the Nationals just a few summers back, only to reject, knowing with Boris at the wheel, he was sure to blow past that mark. But MLB ownership might be fighting back. As Boris Corp has grown, so has their client list. Boris, with as much success that he has had, is experiencing what seems to be a roadblock this offseason, with clients that don't offer the same value as his high-profile superstars. Each one of the four players we spoke about earlier has a bit of skepticism behind them, enough so that teams have been unwilling to meet the asking price. With Bellinger and Snell and others still available, it seems as though Major League Baseball management is tired of being squeezed and have decided to no longer play along. Boris was quoted when speaking to The Athletic in regards to the proposed free agent signing period, deadlines are death lines to the players. It's a death of their rights. It's an artificial reason not to get your value. Teams cannibalize deadlines. Everything they would do would be around the deadline. I'll wait and get this value at this time because I have a deadline, rather than what's the player worth. It seems as though this offseason will be the start of change. The deals that are ultimately made with the four high-profile free agents remaining will show whether holding off was the right call or not. It will show who really holds the power, Boris Corp and the agents or MLB ownership. I think it is also notable to mention a number of players and managers have come out in support of this proposed deadline, one being Trevor Story. Story had comments regarding his recent free agent experience extending into the spring, in which he stated, that type of timetable is not good for the players or anybody. We all know that free agency is good for the players, obviously financially, but it's tough. I wish there was a little different timetable on it. Also coming in with his own comments, Red Sox manager Alex Cora stated, we need news. The offseason was boring for the business, for the game. There's a lot of good players out there. They should be getting ready for the season. Obviously, that's a big subject with the commissioner and the Players Association. But from my end, more action is a lot better. As spring training games kick off, only time will show us the impact of this very sensitive topic. Okay, Matt, so I threw a lot at you there. I think my biggest takeaway the story and that that I know of is just that Major League Baseball has to make some kind of financial structure change, whether it is a salary floor or it is a hard cap. But as we've seen with the Dodgers this season, the tax threshold doesn't really stop teams from dominating the free agent market when you can manipulate things the way the Dodgers did with Otani's contract. And then Also being said, you can't force teams right now without a floor, like just say the Oakland Athletics to spend. And when you look at their payroll, and then you also look at the current free agents still on the market today, I would argue they would probably have to spend another $45 million, which is money that could be negotiated to a Cody Bellinger or a Blake Snell or a number of the mid-tier free agents that have already signed where are those players that are you know mentioned in our story are ultimately available for other clubs to spend that money they had spent on the mid tier guys so i don't necessarily know what the solution is i know there needs to be a solution
0: <laughs> i don't know what the solution is but we need a solution yeah sounds about right no yep. i think that's the i think that is the the catch 22 behind the whole thing right is like okay cool we bring up the floor Now, my point in my question back to you, and I think the big question to Boris and the agents is like, all right, cool, go play in Kansas City then. Yeah. Right? Like, are you taking that money in Kansas City? Are you pulling the Javi Baez, right? Like, I think that was the best, most recent example example that comes up to my head. Obviously, he kind of got the short end of the stick. The teams that he wanted that were better contenders ended up moving to some other guys, and it actually worked out for them. But he goes and takes the money with Detroit, and now the rest of his career is irrelevant. Let's, Let's... be honest about it, right? Like he's well, and he was a
1: bad signing for them too, you know, for like sure. 100%. Just, just as you know, if let's say, so let's say Cody Bellinger and the issues that teams have with him are true, and he last year was maybe an anomaly and he's not back because his exit velocities haven't improved. And Kansas City says, screw it, we need a guy for five years. We signed Bellinger at 25 million a year and he sucks, right? And yeah. now you have Javi Baez on a different team in Cody Bellinger
0: yeah but i thought your point when we were doing prep for the episode today and we went through you know your awesome uh story there that you just went over is like you look at the nba right and you brought up dylan brooks for the houston rockets you're like they had to sign this idiot for a good amount of money and it actually ended up working out pretty well for them he's having a decent season fred van vliet same thing with houston like They went out, they had money to spend, they had to spend it, and it's actually turning out to be a net positive for their team for other reasons, right? In the NBA, Major League Baseball is a little bit different, but I think at the bare minimum, to answer your question and to provide a hypothetical solution from my point of view, bro, is that there there has to be a floor. Because when I Googled, what is the floor in Major League Baseball, (laughs) it was $750,000. So, that's just laughable at this point right so there needs to be a floor to bring competitive balance into major league baseball in my opinion like i think there needs to be some sort of floor to bring the little guys up and so we don't have an oakland athletic situation like we've had over the past uh five or six years whatever it was before they decided to sell out
1: well and i think the beauty there's a few things within the story that i wanted to touch on the first being Uh, the former Cleveland Indians, now Cleveland Guardians GM at the time, John Hart, and that quote that I had listed off. And that was mentioned in the offseason of 1996 when he lost Albert Bell, who at the time, awesome player. Like if you haven't seen Albert Bell swing the bat, definitely. I would assume there were some things he had done to become stronger, um, you know, I'm not going to accuse him of anything, but <laughs> hell of a player to watch. A lot of anger as well. That's kind of my kind of guy. <clears throat> um, but John Hart you know, had, had said, essentially, I'm concerned for the health of the game, that there are only a few teams that could afford this kind of a deal. Now, they signed Albert Bell for $10 million a year, 1996. I think... First and foremost, what John Hart said was incredible because it is a true problem that we have had probably since that day. Um, now, what's even more incredible to me is that from 1996 to the 2000 season, a four-year window, we went from the highest player getting $50 million in guaranteed contracts, $10 million a year. I don't know that he was the highest per season. I, I just know it was $50 million was the most a player had gotten to $25 million a year guaranteed over 10 years for Alex Rodriguez. What Scott Boris was able to do in a four-year window by completely changing the landscape of Major League Baseball, he not only doubled the the largest contract given at $50 million, what was it, 4x, 5x? Um, My math is bad, but either way, it is incredible. That is one of the most incredible things I have ever seen within sports. And I think what's really cool about it too is it also showcases the US and world economy and also how it's changed. Really starting the year 2000, we started to see this rapid extension, uh, extension of like the US dollar, its value, the economy, everything exploding. Here we are today talking about Dak Prescott possibly getting $60 million a year. It's remarkable.
0: It is remarkable. And that's something you got to give Boris, excuse me, credit for, in my opinion, is bringing capitalism and true market value for these players. Right. Making it more than just the statistics and the analytics that go into getting these contracts, the average, the home runs, the RBIs and all that stuff. And it's what their value of that individual, especially a guy like A-Rod at the time, was going to bring for then the Texas Rangers, and then eventually the New York Yankees, right? Like Arod, yeah, you're paying him twenty five million, and you're seeing it this year with the seven hundred million dollar man, Otani, right? Like everyone scoffed at the contract, you're like, holy shit, talk about a huge upgrade in time, like from where you were talking about with A-Rod. but it's like the value that having that one individual with your brand his name on the back of your jersey is actually more than anything that you could bring statistically or maybe not more but what you can add on there statistically right and I think that's something you got to give Boris credit to but now transforming and transitioning into this year bro like I think the other big question from your story that I had personally is just is this a concerted effort by either Manfred or the GMs or the owners to kind of not lowball but but Sabotage Boris and his clients throughout because of all these years of kind of upping them and negotiating them. Like, does this does this effort feel sabotaged in any way, shape, or form to you this off season?
1: It doesn't, um, and it doesn't because I had mentioned in the story there there is something within each of these players with Cody Bellinger, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, and Matt Chapman that if I were a general manager, I would have big concerns over. And I just want to break him down real quick. Cody Bellinger, right? If you look at his career over the last three, four years since he won that MVP, there have been question marks attached to his actual ability to be a capable starter in Major League Baseball. The consistency just hasn't been there. We've, he's been changing his swing. You've seen his data all over the place. And when you look at his numbers just last year alone, his exit velocities wouldn't lead you to believe that he has changed anything. Had a very good statistical season last year when you pull up his baseball card. But I have concerns that I might be signing a guy for five years that might revert immediately back to the guy that I can't put out there in my lineup every single day. So, you know, if if Boris is asking for five years, 200 million, the answer is absolutely not. If he's asking for five years, 150 million, the answer is maybe, but like, let me see if I can make it work five years, a hundred million, probably no problem. You know, I can, I can probably take that deal. And if you look at the average value for even fourth outfielders, it's climbing to ridiculous numbers now. So (laughs) you can make that work, but I know Boris is asking for big money. Now Blake Snell, you know, two time Cy Young, reigning NL Cy Young. If you actually look at his raw data, the walks are outrageous and the strikeouts bail him out of trouble. And he played in a ballpark that limited home runs. His big problem is home runs. Well, walks and home runs lead to a high ERA. If I'm the Yankees and I'm thinking about signing Blake Snell, I'm terrified that that ERA that won him a Cy Young now balloons. Because in Yankee Stadium, those balls that are caught in the outfield are now home runs. So there's another concern, right? Then you look at Matt Chapman. Outside of a great individual month last year, he was pretty bad. Platinum platinum glove winner. Perennial gold glove winner, great defender, but at times for five months last year, he was a liability in the lineup. And then finally Jordan Montgomery, you know, world series champion, but again, from consistency, we have about a year and a half on his, on his track record to really lean on. And before that, while he was with the Yankees, it was about a four ERA. So I might be willing to give him 60 to 80 over four or five years. I'm sure Boris is asking for 120, 130. So I say all of those things because no, I do not think is a collective effort. I think Boris is out of his goddamn mind, (laughs) and I think he has been for a very long time. I think because he has been able to land these superstars such massive deals, he thinks that he can get anybody the most amount of money, and in today's game it is more difficult. Teams are being more frugal. They're operating more like a business. They're reliant on revenue streams that are in question with Bally Sports Network and now the Amazon acquisition. now, Now the lawsuit with Major League Baseball asking for their rights back. So a lot of teams don't have the traditional funds that they would to flood into the market. Even names like Josh Hader took a little while to sign. And even Josh Hader probably signed a deal lower than he would have with traditional revenue streams. So No, I don't think it's collective. I am very interested to see who signs, when, for how much. I think Snell goes to New York. I think they have him in a corner. I think they probably offered him a good contract a month ago. He laughed at it, and I think they probably lowered the deal. They gave him a shorter contract offer. I don't think he's going to have any choice but to accept it. I think Bellinger probably goes back to Chicago on maybe – two three four year deal with player options all over the place where he can opt out and try to hit the market again once he's proven himself and i think matt Chapman probably takes a four year 60 to 80 million dollar deal in in san francisco and just says well sucks but it is what it is you know i'll, I'll take the guaranteed money I'll, I'll ride out my career maybe i get a one or two year deal after this and you know he just didn't perform in a contract year. And like, I'm sorry, you shouldn't be rewarded if you don't perform. Uh, Montgomery is the interesting one. I think he's probably the best one out of the bunch because I think he can be consistent over a four-year contract.
0: Yeah. And you got to give credit to um, the CBA, right? And what they were able to agree upon. And what I, what I mean by that is that <clears throat> when you're looking into this Blake Snell deal, you think, I don't know. From from my perspective, you look at it, you see all the articles. The Yankees have an offer on the table. He laughed at it. You just covered it, right? Yep. Um, but you're like Yankees. You're the you're the fucking Yankees, right? Just give them the extra five million a year or whatever it is, right? You that that's my initial thought. It's like you are the Yankees. Just well, do it, but Matt. But
1: if I'm gonna guess, it's not five. I think it's forty to eighty.
0: Sure, sure. Whatever yeah. it is, whatever. I think the number is irrelevant. To, to, to my point that I'm making, the okay. numbers are relevant because it's the Yankees, man. It's the New York Yankees. You can you'll make up for the money. You will even in a down year, whatever it might be. But I I want to give credit to the CBA because they're at the luxury tax, right? And it's like ah, you can do like what you do in um, Major League ba- or sorry, in, in the NBA, you pay the tax. It is what it is, right? But in the CBA for Major League Baseball, if you're a third offender <laughs> of hitting the luxury tax it is an automatic 50% on the luxury tax like the Yankees are so an automatic no matter what you are over you're hitting the 50% threshold and then once you hit the fourth level of going over the luxury tax which which the Yankees are at it's an additional 60 so now every dollar over the luxury tax they're paying they're paying 110% tax on it so I saw the good hypothetical example. I feel really bad that I'm not shouting out the article that I read, but it was like if they pay Snell 44 million a year or 40 million a year, it's gonna cost them 44 million in tax on top of that, just to yep. pay him. So he's gonna be 84 million over the top. And I think that to the salary cap, salary floor. Uh, discussion that we had right after we finished the article or the story there is like that that is a really really good negotiated CBA, right because in my opinion i still think the yankees should do it because they can afford it in my opinion i don't know their financials you know their balance sheet whatever it is but that is really 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 a tough pill to swallow and then it makes us go back to what we were saying and it's like if you want that money go talk to the bad teams then you know, go find a lower suitor that will give you the money, man, because I guarantee you someone will pay Blake Snell for his services to come in there and start, right? But I bet you he's sitting there, I saw it was the Yankees, the Angels, haha, or the Giants, right? That are that are out there. That was what I saw in the rumors and the articles, right? But the Yankees cannot just do what they've done in the past and spend all that money. Because that tax is sitting there looming over whoever they sit, they bring in, if they bring in anyone else. And I, and I think that's a shout out to the CBA that was agreed upon between the, uh, the union and the commissioner.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I, I think the really big thing with New York, if I put myself in Cashman's shoes is, okay, we missed out on Yamamoto. We were willing to break the bank for him. You know, yeah. he ultimately wanted to go and play in LA with Otani and, it's closer to Japan. I, I get it. That we lost out. Well, okay. Who's available? Blake Snell. Let's plug the numbers into the spreadsheet, and you know we'll extend an offer. Well, he laughs at it. Okay. Well, you know we'll grab Strowman. Well, Strowman happens to just be a ground ball pitcher who limits hard contact and is perfect Love for Stroman. Yankee Stadium. Right. Yeah. Perfect. Now, what else have we done recently? Well, we signed Carlos Rodon to the same deal we probably offered Snell, and well, from current returns, it looks like we may have just cost ourselves a lot of money because we might've gotten bid on that one. Well, what are the concerns about Blake Snell? Well, health and control. Yeah. Well, interesting. Those were similar, similar concerns to Rodan. So I think Cashman is probably sitting there thinking to himself, if I fuck this up again, if I sign another lefty that busts immediately, I'm going to be fired. Yeah. And I think a lot of times those are the decisions that really dictate free agency, because now that it is more of a fiscal game, jobs are on the line. You know, you can't afford Rodon and Snell at probably 300 plus million dollars to bust. That was Yamamoto, right? That, that, that's replace them. You got a good player, or two bad players. And presumably in this context, reality we're talking about here. So I, I really don't want the Yankees to, to sign Snell. I, I don't think it ends well for them. And if it does, I'll be shocked. I will be absolutely shocked. I I think Snell's a really good pitcher in the right ballpark. I think he was really well suited for San Francisco. I still think he should sign with San Francisco. I think he'd have at least another Cy Young performance there for all the reasons I mentioned. Um, But you're right. I, I think the luxury tax is huge. And it's funny. I, I joined a you know, a money dynasty league, this offseason, 30 teams, and they follow everything to a T. So my salary after the draft was the absolute highest. The My salary is $275 million. I basically drafted everyone with money. I mean, Mike Trout fell around like 18 because people were like, oh, I don't want his salary. And it was just really interesting to watch 29 other people draft in a open, you know, a new startup. Concept because everyone outside of maybe four of us were extremely frugal, while the other four of us just said, "Yeah, I'll take Manny Machado." You know, seven rounds after he should have been taken in a normal league, and you know, I'll take Blake Snell and Carlos Rodon, who I had just mentioned. So the mo the problem is most of Major League Baseball is similar, kind of to John Hart's comments. Right, there are only four or five teams that can make this kind of deal. It's the same way today: the Yankees, the Dodgers maybe the Mets right Boston still has some money if they decide to spend it and and then you know a a contract here or there every three years based off who wants to be those mid-market guys and then there's the A's and the Brewers and the Royals and and those teams are at a very big disadvantage because they have to play Tampa Bay financial baseball
0: yeah and even Tampa Bay how's that really worked out for them right yeah had a couple nice runs some good players, the one guy that they bought into ended up being a piece of shit, right? Yeah. Like,
1: you yeah. know what
0: I mean? Like, it, it happens, man. Like, yeah. it sucks. Um, okay, the next thing I wanted to touch on um, was the deadline, the deadline in quotes, right? Um, what What are your overall thoughts on the deadline? Uh, we'll just start there because I, I have my thoughts and I have another question around that, but just the deadline specific. What, what are your thoughts on that, uh, Boris's argument and uh, the commissioner's argument? The Boris and I, I'd say the agent's.
1: Well, what was really interesting for me to start this off was Trevor Story's comments, and then yeah. to have his manager ultimately, you know, Alex Cora come out with similar comments. I would be interested to see if the Players Association does like a a, a union player pool. Um, what do you guys think? Do you want this? Because honestly, Matt, I don't think it's as negative as as some of the. Um, the the agents are making it sound, or some of the like really hardcore player rights people are making it sound. I understand that you can broadcast this as a union busting idea, but in reality, there are ways to protect the players' rights still. And ultimately, right back to Matt Chapman, it's in your hands. Perform, they will pay you. I believe that, right? Because I think under Boris's quote. Where he talks about, you know, the GM's essentially waiting until the very last minute. You know, let's just say December twentieth is the deadline. It's eleven fifty-five p.m. on December nineteenth, and you know, your agent calls up the GM, and the GM's like, "All right, well, listen, I'm I'm offering ten million. I know no one else has an offer on the table. I know you wanted twenty. Does your guy want to play this season or not? It, that's not necessarily what's going to happen. It might happen with a couple guys." But if you go out and you perform, you're going to have three different GMs that are like, okay, well, you know, they're offering you this, I'll give you this. And they're offering you that, I'll give you that. You're going to have people that want your services, which keeps it at a fair market. And I think the things placed into uh, making it fair as well would be close it on that deadline, maybe again, December 20th. And you know, we will reopen it after the second week of spring training, so that if injuries come up or if players that didn't have a lot of interest and didn't want to sign a really below-market-value deal want to have another opportunity to play this season, they can, but we're not going to allow players to sign until after that second week because we want the really big names off the board. And the last thing teams want to do is give big money to big players knowing that, okay, they're already two weeks behind. Let's just say that situation plays out this year and it's Blake Snell – now, let's say it's the Orioles. Kyle Bradish is hurt. They need another pitcher. Maybe they are looking to spend with new ownership. Well, shit, if we sign Blake Snell two weeks after spring training, he's not going to pitch for us until maybe the third week of April. And if we get him the second week of April, maybe we get three innings out of him because we've got to be very, very careful because he is literally stretching himself out again. So I think there are parameters in place where you could still make this work and really help incentivize that buzz that manford wants around the sport boris is just doing exactly what he is supposed to do from a business perspective
0: he is fear-mongering
1: he is bullying and i i cannot stand him but he is so incredibly good at his job
0: well he's also right though like that that's the other problem and and, like for I think when you look at it from the argument's sake, in my opinion, right, the argument from Boris and the agents are you're basically taking leverage away from me, right? The deadline takes away negotiating leverage. To the example that you just spoke about, yep. it's eleven fifty nine. Your guy, I know the offer, right? You, your leverage is out the fucking window in sales in negotiation. There, right? That's that's his argument. The commissioner Alex Cora, uh, not necessarily story, but the commissioner and Alex Cora from your example, theirs is like we need more off season buzz, right? Which, in my opinion, that argument doesn't hold up weight. Yeah. And I'd say that argument doesn't hold up any more weight because you bring up December nineteenth. Why the fuck would you do it during football season? Yeah. You know, if you really want to make it crazy, if you really want to do something, February
1: seventeenth cool, till you like, do it, yeah. you
0: do it Pro Bowl week. Yeah, you you, what's the week of the Pro Bowl? What's the week? What's that Monday after the AFC championship game? We're live. Guess what's back? Baseball. I love that. You know, would they do that? No, because they (laughs) don't. What what, from Manfred's from his tenure and from all, the you know, we've been doing this for a minute, all the shit we've been talking about their marketing and this and that, bro, like they are not going to do that. You know what I mean? And if your one argument is like, oh, we want to get more excitement for baseball when it's not baseball season, like that doesn't hold weight when you don't do anything to even make people excited about baseball during baseball, you know, which well, is a whole other rant I'm getting off topic, but yeah. I'll, I'll follow it up. I'll, I'll, I'll close it up with this, man, is it's just I get it from both sides. I think there should be a window. I think there should be something we're literally doing stuff in a couple weeks here about franchise tag deadlines in the free agency for, for the national football league. And the season doesn't start till September, right? They need to find a way to tap into that market for their fans and prospective fans as well. But at the same time, there needs to be rights for the players and the agents to still get that fair market value. I don't think there should be a in quotes deadline. I just don't think that's a realistic ask um, or something that will be collective bargained on.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I I love the Pro Bowl idea. The, you know, as you said it, it was, it was awesome. The only downside to that is baseball's world series wraps up, you know, end of October, end of October, um, beginning of November, November. Right. So if you do the Pro Bowl week, you've essentially cut all baseball lifeline until February. And like you just said, the NFL Super Bowl just wrapped, like they're immediately into these deadlines. Right. So as much as I liked it, it, it can't be that, and that's right. why I think Manford came out and he's like, "Okay, well, December seems like the logical place because, like, it would be similar to the NFL then, where everything gets started and you can really start to get this buzz before the season. Yeah. January and February, you know, beat reporters can really start talking about these new players and here's the roster. You know, how did how does this all fit together now that everything's almost official? Like these camp battles, like they're really important because. You know, these are the only players left available, you know, after that two week period of entry, you know, do we see somebody really struggle and they bring this guy in? Like there would be so much more to write, talk and to promote the sport about, but you're right. It doesn't nest. It doesn't help the players. I don't think Boris is wrong with that nature. I also don't think this would be a problem if Scott Boris wasn't so delusional. His players (laughs) are not worth what he thinks they are in his job. Is to go out, go out, and tell people that Cody Bellinger is worth a seven-year, two hundred and twenty million dollar contract. The problem is, as I said to you, these teams are laughing at him. And I, I said to you this off air. You know, this happened a couple of years ago with a few of his other players. And I, I wish I remember who they were. I, I think one was Kimbrel when he ended up sh- signing in Chicago. But this is really going to test his ability with his mid-market guys. It's really going to test if these mid-market players continue to seek out his services, because there is no question, the Juan Soto's, the Alex Rodriguez's, the Steven Strasburg's, the Jose Altuve at 36 years old, who he just got a great extension for this past week. Those guys, he is the guy to go to. But I would argue Cody Bellinger, you know, Jordan Montgomery, probably should be seeking another another agent because you would be signed right now with guaranteed money. Boris is just out here doing what he does for his superstars. And yeah. Pete Alonzo just switched over to having Boris Corporation um, represent him. And the narrative was really interesting. It was, okay, we know that Pete Alonzo only cares about the money now. And it's uh, it's the truth. You've gone with Boris. You want every single dollar that's on the table. He will also be a very interesting situation next offseason because first baseman that hit 230, 240, that hit 40 home runs are not worth $30 million a year. Not in today's game, they're not. And I guarantee that is going to be the price tag that Boris asks, $30 million annual salary. And I really could see Pete Alonso next offseason being in a similar situation where it's like, well game start in two days um who's gonna sign him
0: yep hey go play in pittsburgh go play in colorado yeah go play in oakland you know, you know another they, name. they i know they won't fork up that money i'm just throwing hypothetical names because that, that like that that's the only logical thing for me to to help balance out this right is like The Yankees can't sign everybody. The Dodgers can't sign everybody. These teams can't continue to hit the luxury tax and not win titles, right? The Yankees win this year. Fuck it. You know what I mean? Like their brand, their money, it's all going to be good, right? Dodgers, same thing, right? I mean, I don't know about their money, but like, you know, the Dodgers went all in with all this cash. If they win the title this year, if they win the title next year, they're good. You know what I mean? Um, yeah.
1: Well, and you mentioned Javi Baez. I thought that was fantastic. You know another yeah. name? Chris Bryant in Colorado. I was just gonna, that's why I said Colorado, because right? it's yeah. like
0: he's he's sitting there looking at Boris, looking at uh, Cody Bellinger, laughing his ass off at him. He's like, I'm out here smoking dope, hanging well, out at the Mile High City, chilling, dude. Like- but he
1: also made the right decision. And this is how I evaluated probably Javi and Chris's situation. They probably had three or four teams interested. Probably out of those three or four teams, uh, two or three of them were offering one to two year deals with player options for them to come in and, and prove themselves prove it. you know, and, and then they had the Tigers and they had the Rockies who said, "Okay, listen, you had some down years. We'll give you a long term deal. But because we're going to give you a long term deal, your your average your annual value is going to be much lower. The positive is you're guaranteed that hundred million plus dollar contract, right? They both took it. Javi has not had a good season since. Chris no. has not been healthy since. Both of them made the absolute right decision because if they had taken that one-year deal or that two-year player option deal, they're not getting another deal maybe. They, they, well, they I don't might know if they're not getting another well,
0: deal. They're not going to get us five, not, six, they, seven they probably deal. won't yeah.
1: ever get $100 million. Exactly. Right? Like, yeah. So they made the right call, and I, I think that's where Cody Bellinger will be at. I think Cody Bellinger will choose the one- or two-year player option because I do believe Cody Bellinger, uh, if he can do it one more year, Will probably be able to sign the two hundred million dollar contract. I yeah. wouldn't do it, but I think with one more year, they'll look at it and be like, "Okay, he's back." Right? I'm
0: just waiting for the the headline that he's going to Anaheim. Like, I, I feel like out, out of those guys left, like who who are the Angels going to fuck up and give money to? Like, I feel like it'd be Bellinger, just a because he was a Dodger and name recognition. You know what I mean? I know, I know, I read that they're going to try and go with lower budget, this, that, and the other. Moreno can't help himself. Can't help himself. I I think I and I actually think he'd be a decent fit in Anaheim too. Um, whatever. I mean,
1: there are so many little pieces to that because you know I would have I would have agreed with you last year, but knowing Moreno wants to sell the team and had put it on put it up for sale and then pulled it off, it's hard to sign a guy when you're thinking about selling a team because that hundred plus million dollars, you know, is on the books for the new ownership group. And now, you know, when they come in and negotiate with you, they're like, well, you're dumbass signed Cody Bellinger. Like, you know, we were going to give you 3.1, <laughs> but now we're going to give you three because you're paying for Cody. Um, not Those are just pieces of uh, this entire like, structure, yeah. right?
0: Yeah. It, it, it all depends on what Artie's boozing up on, you know what I mean? <laughs> if he's at the um, cave or, you know, yeah. if he's at, if he's at Carl <laughs> Strauss, exactly like depending
1: on where he's drinking as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, y'all. Well, we'll see you next week. Thank you so much. You can follow us on socials at PitcherBetPod, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I'm Matt. That's Matt. Later.